All right, good evening, everybody. You doing well? Good, let's dive in. I'm going to invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Psalm, chapter 11. Because Psalm, chapter 11, when Ronnie Jr. asked me to, uh, to preach tonight, uh, the first thing that the Lord laid on my heart was this passage. Now, um, this was something that I came across in my personal study, and sometimes when I'm studying, I don't know if you've ever noticed, when you dive into something, it begins to have ripple effects and kind of get large. So, um, I'm trying to condense this passage, but uh, I, wanted to, I wanted to show you something just to begin with, probably because something that everybody's familiar with. I've got a picture that I'm going to show you, and you can tell me what that is. Does anybody know what that is? Okay, everybody knows what that is. Now, it's obviously leaning. That's not, you know, trick photography or anything. Those are the fun ones where they have the people standing next to them look like they're holding them up, you know. But why is that leaning? Now, if you'll do your research, the issue is because of the foundation. They didn't make the foundation strong enough, okay? And some of that has, they said they made it strong enough, but there were some, some things underneath it. But regardless, the foundation, what that tower is standing on, is not capable of holding its weight. And so it has continued to shift. And it still does, it still is shifting. They, they keep trying to measure it to make sure because they don't want it to be a danger to somebody. But it's all a foundation problem. And when you think about foundations, a foundation is what it is, is something that's built on. And when we think about foundations of our life, it means literally what our lives are built on. And so I want to talk to you tonight uh, from this passage of Scripture, which is going to spiderweb us into a bunch of different Scriptures, which is something I normally don't do. But this is something that the Lord just showed me in my quiet time. And I just wanted to share it with you because I think it's really relevant for our time, relevant for us individually, but relevant for our time as a whole, okay? So we're going to talk tonight about the importance of a good foundation out of Psalm 11, verse 3. If you've got it, say, I got it. Good, let's stand together as we honor the reading of God's word. Just this one verse. It said, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? God, I pray that you would reveal to us your truth tonight. Uh, Lord, we do not need just another message. God, and honestly, these people don't really need to hear from me. Uh, God, I just ask that you would use me as your mouthpiece and that the message that you would desire to declare would be declared in this place. It is in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I hope that you were able to grab a handout. Um, these always help. One, they help, you to make sure, they help you to know that we're progressing, okay? That's always encouraging, isn't it? Helps us to know we're progressing and gives you a little bit of the idea of when we might get finished, okay? But I, I wanted to show you something uh, tonight from this passage of Scripture. Uh, the one thing I want to do with this, Psalms sometimes can be tricky because you have to keep a psalm in context, which is hard sometimes because you're thinking about a psalm or it's, it's a... A declaration of individual. This, this, of course, is David. David is writing this psalm, and as he does, he declares these words. Now, in his time, that's what you do to keep context, is that what is he speaking of when he speaks if the foundations are destroyed? What foundations is, is David speaking about? Now, that's how you would help to keep it in context. And as I began to dive into those foundations, it in essence goes all the way back to Genesis and the foundations that God had established mankind with. 
And these are the foundations that David is speaking of. If these foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? Now, I don't want you to think this is a doom and gloom message because even that wording of what can the righteous do doesn't mean that, oh, no, there's no hope if there's no foundation. Okay, that's not what it means. It says, what do we do when we recognize that foundations have been destroyed? That phrase that said, what can the righteous do, is almost like a question that's supposed to already, like it's already insinuated what the answer is. If we know that they're destroyed, then what can we do? Build them up again, right? And that's in essence what David is saying here. So I want to show you just three things from this passage of Scripture, which will lead us to other Scriptures dealing with the foundations that David is talking about. The first is the foundation of God. The foundation of God. If the foundations are destroyed, the foundation of God, literally coming from both the Ten Commandments and if you would reference Deuteronomy chapter 6 when God is giving the law and he declares to them, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Declaring God. Now, guys, we live in a culture that wants to declare God. They say that they believe in God, but is it enough to believe in God? Is that enough of a foundation to build a life on, to simply believe that God exists? The answer is no, because that is not the foundation of God that faith is built on. No, it is not just God existing. It is God as a few things. Number one, it is God as creator. God is creator. Genesis 1-1 says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Guys, and a culture that would try to destroy God as creator is destroying the foundations that we are built on. If you take away God as creator, you take away man's responsibility to God. If he is not created by God, he is not responsible to God, okay? So if you take away God as creator, you take away man's in, 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 inherited responsibility to God. So it's not just the belief of God existing, but it was God as creator that God had made us and not we ourselves. So not only God as creator, but also God as savior. God as savior. The essence of saying that we need one, recognizing sin as a problem, we know that we need a savior. You see, that is kind of part of the problem too. If we don't acknowledge God as creator, then we don't acknowledge that God has a standard that we have to live up to or a standard that he's allowed to set because he is the creator. Then we are left with what? Just we can do whatever we want to do which is a kind of current pulse of not just, we, we can say this of the world, but it's not out in the world. If you'll do statistics, it's in the church too. That we don't have God as creator establishing what we should and should not do, and we don't have God as savior. That I had sin that desperately needed a savior. Now, when you can get this, when you look at Deuteronomy, it's, it continues, and I, I reference that a lot because these are the primary things that you'll get. Genesis establishes things, and when the law is given in Deuteronomy, it is reestablishing those same things over and over, and those things would be reestablished over and over and over and over all throughout Scripture. So I just, I just picked out these three. These are the ones that really, really stood out, but that is a foundation of God. God is creator, God is savior, and then thirdly, they're God as Lord. Now guys, some of you say, well, what is the difference? Well, there are a lot of people today that declare that Jesus is their savior, but they do not obey him. 
Now listen, you can't have God as Savior if he's not your Lord. Now if you look at the passage, it declares that over and over again. A foundation of the faith is not only that God made us, but that God knows our need, and so he offered us salvation through a Savior, Jesus Christ, that God made us, he knew our sin condition, so he sent Jesus, and because of that, he is not only our Savior, but he is worthy to be our who? Our Lord. So that means to tell us what to do and what not to do, to, to lead us in our lives, to have the authority over us. That's what it means to have God as a foundation in your life. Listen, a belief about God is not a strong enough foundation. It has to be God as he really is. God is creator, God is savior, and God as Lord. It means that we honor him, we obey him, that we're in awe of him, is to see the foundation ultimately of God. Deuteronomy teaches us so many things in that, and, and I would have you go there. It'd be good for you. Go ahead and go to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Some of you are very familiar with that passage, but Deuteronomy chapter 6. When it says here, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one in verse 4. But then he says in verse 5, you shall, this is kind of the, this is what Jesus gave as an answer when a man came to him and asked him, what is the most important command in all of the law? What am I supposed to be doing? This guy was confused because if you know kind of the system that they were in, there's like 300 and something things you're not supposed to do and like 200 and something things you are supposed to do. And he's just overwhelmed and says, Lord, what, what am, what's the most important thing for me to do? Jesus quoted this scripture. He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Passage is alluding to the fact that we see God for who he is. That we see God as creator, that we see God as savior, that we see God as Lord. And guys, in, in reaction to that as a foundation of our lives, we love him and we serve him. So it is foundation. The foundation that our world is hacking at is God. One of them is God. They started with God as creator. And that's where it started. To deny God as creator. And then if they can deny God as creator, then we can deny that we have a responsibility to God. And that's a foundation that, listen, that you and I must build our lives on. Not the existence of God, but God for who he is. God is creator, savior, and Lord. But the second thing that I want you to see in the foundation, the foundation of the word the foundation of the word. Guys, this is under attack. And I don't mean from the world. I mean from within the walls of our very churches. The word of God is under attack. Is it absolute? Is it not? Are there mistakes? Is it not? Or does it really, is it really mean what it says? I can tell you right now, yes, it means exactly what it says. But the problem is that people think that it's up for interpretation. That's the issue. So the foundation of the word. A believer who is going to have a solid life must be founded on the word. Founded first off on God for who he is. God as creator, God as savior, God as Lord. But not only that, then I'm going to found my life on the word of God and what it says. 
Jesus taught this, did he not? Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, the very last words that he gave, he says, if any man hears these words of mine and does them, he will be likened unto a wise man who built his house on a rock. And when the winds came and the rains came and they beat on that house, that it was firm. But any man who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them, I will liken him unto a foolish man who built his house on a sand. When the winds came, the winds blew, beat on that house, and it fell. And the scripture says this, and great was the fall of it. Jesus teaches this very principle. Listen, we cannot have a life that is built on a foundation if it is not on the word of God. This is the basis. And here's what I'm saying. I can say this in about every church in Kentucky and get amens from everybody in there. But be cautious, be cautious, because if we're going to amen that I want my life built on the word of God, then pay attention to this first point. It says, first off, it is something to be, listen to this, write it down, known. It is something to be known. The word of God is something that you and I must know. We live in a generation of believers who can honestly say, they say they've been a Christian or a Christian for 10 or 15 years and have never, ever read the Bible. The only Bible they're exposed to is when they open it during a sermon of some sort or when somebody might hand them some devotion. They are not dedicated to the word of God. They're not dedicated to know the word of God. Guys, this is where we live. I can't tell you how many Christians that I talk to that tell me that they're a Christian and I ask them a basic question. Have you ever read the Bible? And they answer, I mean, you mean all of it? No, I mean some of it. Yes, I mean all of it. You see, this, we are now in a place that that is weird. That is weird. You're not supposed to, I'm supposed to read all of this. I don't know, it's just the word of God. Yeah. But we're in, we're in a whole culture of Christians that not only don't think that, don't do that. You ask them if God's word's even a part of their daily life. No. It's not known. Guys, we live, we live to where it's okay to not know the word of God. We make excuses for people who don't know the word of God. Can I, can I just, I just got to be transparent and honest with you. Now, I was raised in a Christian home. And I used to believe that my parents made me read the Bible. I did. I don't know why I thought that. I was talking to my mom one time. I said, yeah, I remember when we were homeschooled, you used to tell us that you know, we had to read five chapters of the Bible every day. My mom looked at me and she goes, what? I said, don't look at me like that. I said, five chapters, I had to put it as a goal. She said, we never gave that to you as a goal. You did that on your own. You started putting that. Dad didn't tell you you had to read five chapters of the Bible. You put that there. Now, I honestly don't remember that. I don't. I always thought that it was kind of implied that I should be in the Bible. But guess what? My mom said, well, Nathan, it was implied. Of course we would tell you that you need to be in the Word of God because you should be in the Word of God. I was thankful I had parents that did that. Guys, and if you read five chapters a day, if you'll just do the math, you read through the Bible every year and then some. You will be done before the end of the year and then some. And we've got people, guys, that, that it's not important to read God's Word. And yet we say that, oh, my life is founded on the word of God, amen. A word that you don't even know. 
So how can it be founded on that? Does this make sense? Because this is where our world is. Christianity, guys, Christianity, this is where we are. We say, man, I'm a Bible-believing Christian. I believe in what the Bible says until the one day somebody walks up to you and says, okay, what does it say? Stuff. God, Jesus, he's in there somewhere. You know what I mean? And that, that, these are our answers. I mean, somebody, I mean, somebody can come and ask us some questions about something that we even believe or say we believe and ask us why we believe that. And, and very few people can thumb through this Bible and show them why they honestly believe that. I was reading this passage this time, and man, this just stood out to me, and this is why I believe this. It's supposed to be known. Christians, can I... I'm always challenged this, and I guess because that's, that's why I exist, right? I mean, the Bible says that he, he gifts preachers and teachers and all that stuff. Why? So we can equip the saints for the work of the ministry, right? So if there's ever a time that you hear me not telling you to get in the Bible, I'm probably not doing my job, okay? But the reality is that, is this not what we're supposed to be? Our lives are supposed to be focused on the fact that we know God's word. Not that we know we should know God's word, but that we know God's word. Scripture talks about that, and, and I would encourage you to really think about how much of the Bible that you've read, studied, or know, because it's a challenge that I give you. If you've never read through the Bible, it's something that you should do as a believer, all of it, every bit of it, even the stuff that you're like, oh, wow, all these begats, it's okay. There's actually some cool stuff in there, but read it all. It's something that's supposed to be known. Deuteronomy 6.6 6 says, And these words which I command to you today shall be in your heart. That means part of you. It's ingrained in your very being. You know it so much. It's part of you. But not only is it something to be known, it's also something to be, number two, obeyed. Something to be obeyed. In Psalm 119, 9 through 11, I'm going to look this up, but this is the one I always think of because if you're ever pledging allegiance to the Bible, it actually quotes a section of this. But in Psalm 119, you can, you can either just write down on your paper that and look at it later, or you can flip to it if you want to. 119, 9 through 11 says, how can a young man cleanse his way? Good question. Meaning, how am I supposed to live right? How am I supposed to live godly? How am I supposed to know that I'm actually living life as a Christian? He says, by taking heed according to your word. With my whole heart I have sought you. Oh, let me not wander from your commandments. And then verse 11 we're familiar with. Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. I've hid it in my heart. It's something that I know, but not only know, it's something that I obey. The scripture there talks about the fact that it said, how is a young man supposed to live a cleanse? How am I supposed to live a godly life? By obeying God's word. By obeying it. Simply doing what it says. We also know that because Jesus said that, Sermon on the Mount. It constantly tells us, it's one thing to hear it, it's another thing to believe it and do it. Because if you hear these words of mine and do them, he's talking about obedience. It's something to obey. But not only is it something to be obeyed, it's also something to be taught. Something to be taught. This is the essence of the gospel. The essence of the gospel is as we have received the gospel, 
through the word of God. It was either preached to us and we have received the gospel that in essence it would be something that we would share with the entire world. This is kind of the, a big deal for the church. That it's not something that we keep to ourselves, but it's something that we share. It's something that we take and try to teach others. Guys, it's the reason that missions exists. If you look even in history, it's the reason why so many expeditions and why uh, even in, in finding this country... It was because the church was sending people. They found Indians who had never heard the gospel and they were sending missionaries to this place just because they knew they needed to hear it. Because people believed that it was something that needed to be taught. Something needed to be shared. Something that needed to be just proclaimed out to people. So the word of God is something that, yes, we are supposed to know. Yes, you should know the Bible. And can I say this? You should know the Bible better this year than you did last year. You should make that a goal. If something's hard to understand, make it a go. I want to figure this out. Say, get, listen, we have the gift of the Holy Spirit who can help teach us. Say, God, help me to understand this. But to know God's word, to obey God's word, and that it's something to be taught to teach it. Now, this is kind of going to lead into this last point, but in Deuteronomy, it challenges that, that we are to take these things, these things that are in our hearts, but then it was to also challenge that they would teach it to their children. But not just teach it as in far these lessons as like, okay, guys, Bible lesson time. He said, you teach it as you live your life. Did you notice that the way that it was worded? It didn't say sit down. And listen, there's nothing wrong with sitting down and having family devotions. I wish more people would do that. But it's how we lived our life. He said that I'll talk about him when we get up in the morning, when we lay down at night, when we're sitting around the dinner table, when we're walking which most of us don't do a lot of unless we're forced to. So when we're driving, we talk about it. It's something that's normal. And that kind of leads into this other foundation. Guys, the foundations of God, just God being God is being destroyed. It's being attacked. And if your life is not founded on that, the guys, we find ourselves falling. We end up looking like that tower. We're leaning, desperately looking for, well, man, somebody needs to straighten me up. Guys, the foundation of not only God, but the foundation of the Word of God. Guys, we, we say amen and applaud when people say we should know the Word of God, but the reality is that very few people actually do know it. It's not something that we have determined, I want to know God's Word, which is interesting. We have opportunities. In this church, we have multiple opportunities, even through preaching, just to know God's Word, to learn it. But it's to know it, to obey it, and to be taught. And that leads to this final thing, which is the foundation of the family. If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? If the foundation of God is destroyed, what are we to do? If the foundation of the word is destroyed, what are we to do? If the foundation of the family is destroyed. It is the oldest and first institution that God made. You go all the way back to Genesis 1 and God established family. Now listen, I want you to be careful about this phrase. Family does not mean children. We get bad about that. I start talking about family and everyone's like, well, I've already raised my kids, so I'm done. Family does not mean children. One of these days, my children are going to leave my home. And they're going to establish a family of their own. And you know when that is? The day they get married. They become a new family, husband and wife. God established the family as what? A husband and wife. Children weren't even around yet. 
and family was established. Can I say, as long as you're together, you're always a family. So when I say family, I don't want you to say, oh, he's going to talk about, you know, I'm just going to have to teach my kids something. And, you know, I've kind of already raised. I don't want you to think that. Because family is you and your spouse. He says this, the foundation of the family, the first is that Genesis established something. And listen, the problem with it is that it, Adam didn't step up to it the first time. And men have continued to back away from it since then. And that is continuously causing a problem in what God established as family. And I want you to write this down. The first thing is the family is men as spiritual leaders. Listen, I I don't want anybody to get uncomfortable in here. I'm not going to sit here and talk about inferiority of women and all that nonsense because that's not true. But I'm here to talk about something that we need to talk about because we don't enough. And that's men as leaders. God did not establish Eve as a spiritual leader. He established Adam as a spiritual leader. And Adam's failure to lead spiritually happened in the garden. He allowed his wife to do something that he knew she should not do. He was there the whole time. The Bible says, read it. If you'll read it and pay attention to the words, when she had eaten of the fruit, she said, it says immediately she turned to her husband who was with her. It's like he stood back and said, man, I know she shouldn't do that, but I want to see what happens. He had spiritual leadership responsibility to do what he's supposed to do, which was to stand between her and Satan and say no. That's his job. And he failed. And because he failed, mankind failed, and we fell. And sin came into this world. I know people joke and they, if it wasn't for Eve, we'd still be in the garden. I'm not so sure about that. Adam showed his weakness in that moment to be able to be a spiritual leader. So let me tell you, what I, I don't want to be one of those things to say, be a spiritual leader, then jump off of this. Because I think we need to establish spiritual leadership, what that really looks like, okay? Everyone in this room, you, you, every man in this room, we're all made differently. Some of you are really outgoing. Some of you would... You're like a big middle schooler. You're like me. You just you fit in with middle schoolers. Some of you are not. You're what I would call an old soul. <laughs> You've been that way since you were a young soul. You just kind of some things that I would do that I think's funny. You would think's annoying. Okay. We're all made differently. That does not mean that one is more adept to spiritual leadership than the other. That's our problem. We think, oh, man, that guy's just outgoing. He, he's more of a spiritual leader. God did not say that, well, if you're, if you're like this, you should be a spiritual leader. No, he simply gave men the responsibility of being a spiritual leader. And what does that look like? Well, I mean, what, obviously what it looks like is what didn't happen in the garden is that he was supposed to be protective of his wife in spiritual matters. The truth of the matter, that I, what I have always wondered is why Adam ever allowed that conversation to take place. I'm going to be honest with you. Some weird looking dude comes up and starts talking to my wife. I'm instantly kind of there like, what is going on over here? <laughs> I want to know. And sometimes I'm going, what is going on over here? I'm not carrying it right now. Don't worry about it. But I was like, I'm thinking, what is going to happen here? 
Is this going to have to get up? I mean, some guy, especially somebody. Now listen, the, the serpent, whatever you want, whatever in this form is taking, he is seeing the conversation happen. And if he didn't immediately turn an ear and be like, whoa, what's going on? He should have when he said, oh, God didn't say that. He should have stepped right up and said, that is a lie straight from the pit of hell. Get away from my wife. But he didn't. Now that might have been me. I might have yelled. Now some of you more gentle souls, they have simply just gone up there and said, we don't have time for you, and just turned away. Is it not the same thing? Yes, it's the same thing. Spiritual leadership takes all kinds of forms, but men, listen to me. No matter what your personality, God has called you to lead your family, which means, listen, right now, if you're a single young man, you are gearing up to lead your family, which means you start being a leader around people that you are around. A spiritual leader, which means you are concerned about other people's spiritual well-being. It's interesting that we can be so concerned about somebody's physical well-being and not concerned about their spiritual well-being. That's what it means to be a spiritual leader. To be concerned about spiritual well-being of another individual. Guys, it doesn't have to have, like, we have this idea about what leadership looks like. Some people are quiet leaders. Some people are loud leaders. But not one is better than the other. If you're a man, that's just what God's called you to. To be a spiritual leader. Adam was called to that. Adam's failure was evident. He should have stepped in and he didn't. Guys, spiritual leadership means a couple of things. When I first got married, can I tell you the most awkward thing in the world was praying with my wife. Does anybody think that's awkward? Am I the only person here that's going to admit that? Okay, when we were young, guys, I was 21 years old when we got married. She was 18. And now I'm going to be a spiritual leader. I'm like, okay, dear, we are going to pray together. Those were some awkward moments. They were awkward. I don't know why, they just were. And then I made the mistake one time asking her to pray. Okay, see, Jill really believes in spiritual leadership, okay? I said, hey, well, why don't you pray tonight? She goes, because uh, that's not my job. Like, what do you mean? I think we should be able to have conversation with God together. Why don't, you, why don't you pray? And she says, no. You are the spiritual leader. You are supposed to lead our family. I've never forgotten those words. And have since never really called on my wife to ever pray. It's my job. You know, and that leads me to, I think the most important thing, even if you look at this, one of the most important roles that we get is that the next thing points not only that men are supposed to be spiritual leaders, but that women are supposed to be spiritual helpers. You know, what's happened in our culture is that women tend to be more spiritual than men. Are you hearing me? Women tend to be more spiritual than men. They're more sensitive to spiritual things. Many of them are, are they do read. They read a little bit more. Some of them are more versed in the Bible. And so they, they, they have a conviction in them to lead. That's why so many mothers wanted their children to be in church when a dad didn't care. He was just doing overtime to pay the bills. That's why some, listen, but it's a spiritual helper. Is that her role to have to step into that? Not as a spiritual leader, but it is as a spiritual helper. Jill has helped me spiritually more than any person on the planet. She has challenged me, she has motivated me, she has encouraged me, and sometimes she has given me some really tough love. You guys, there's nothing better than when your wife comes up to you and tells you you're wrong. 
don't look at me spiritually. You guys act like most of us be like, what? When she tells you, you're wrong. Best thing she ever did. Well, I remember when I first started youth pastoring. And, man, guys, I'm running 90 to nothing. I was working three jobs. And, and then I just dove in thinking, man, you know, I'm invincible. Like, we, guys, I did visitation, like, uh, every Thursday and every Saturday. And then we had uh, church on Wednesday. And then I did youth on, on, on youth. No, it was Thursday night youth, Tuesday night visitation. I mean, I was gone all the time, 90 to nothing. And then I'm like... I don't know, trying to be so cool for these teenagers and saying, like, I'm still in that age, like, oh, you know, I gotta be, I gotta be relative to them. And I remember, like, talking about some stuff, and Jill, she sat me down one time, and she said, hey, you can't be their best friend. You have to be their leader. You know what you wanna say, woman? Don't tell me what to do. <laughs> That's what you wanna say. But guess what? Was she right or wasn't she? She was dead on. I've never forgotten that and the humility I had to have to eat that because she's true. He was right. I'm not supposed to be their best friend, but I am supposed to give them somebody to look up to, a leader. They're spiritual helpers. And when you have that dynamic together, she spiritually helps me and I'm supposed to spiritually lead and help her. What was the goal? The Bible says, it's like, guys, that our goal is to help each other to grow in our relationship with God. Is that not the ultimate goal? For us to grow in our relationship with God. For that spouse, for, guys, listen, some of you guys who are dating, that needs to be your ultimate goal in that person that you're dating. It's to help them grow spiritually, to grow deeper in their relationship with God. Because listen to me, if you can get God in the midst of all that, you've got a relationship that will last. But if you forget to put God in the midst of that, Guys, you can be in trouble. That's the dynamic of spiritual leadership in the family is to recognize that, God, I, I don't always feel equipped. I don't know any guy that's just felt like, man, I'm so equipped. And I don't forget trying to do family devotions. And I, I got this book that was way over our kid's head. I mean, Jonathan was like, how old was Jonathan? Like four, five, I don't know. And I'd start reading this devotion, like trying to, you know, trying to like instill some things into him. And he was sitting, on, like he's sitting down on the floor and he's like me, guys, little ADHD, you know, hard to keep his attention and stuff. And so he's shaking his head like he's here. He didn't hear a word I said. And it's done. He's like, daddy, that was good. Can I go play? Sure, go play. Sure, go play. I felt like, he never felt like such a failure in my life. But it's like, he didn't get it. What am I doing? How, how's that being a spiritual leader? Listen, that means you're going to try and fail at a lot of stuff. You're going to try and fail a lot of stuff. Isn't that the way just all leadership works? Let alone spiritual leadership. Men as spiritual leaders, women as spiritual helpers. And three, because you guys need to know it, because I tend to forget the last one, striving for one purpose. It is striving for one purpose. I'm thankful that I did have parents that instilled in me biblical values. They wanted me to, my parents did keep us in a good church. But I want to tell you this for those of you who are parents or are going to be parents. My parents did not trust that the church was going to give me what I needed. Did you hear what I said? And I hope that doesn't hurt your feelings because it's not the church's job. As a parent, it's our job to instill those things into them. Now, I think about a few things. Uh, my mom used to always get these, she used to try to find creative ways to, and I tried to mimic her when I did this with my own children, but she was just more creative. My mom found these things called salty, the salty spelled P-S, like spelled like Psalms, okay? And 
He would teach you biblical stuff. Now, this is going to show a little bit my age, okay? Because they came with a little book and a cassette tape that you would play as you read the book. Yeah, a cassette plate. And it would basically read the book to you. You'd flip it over. But it had cool things. I, I still remember the series she got me that went through the Do you know why I remember spiritual gifts? Because my mom gave me some salty books. That sounds like a good word, doesn't it? Salty books that helped me teach it. I remember Fruit of the Spirit. I remember Fruit of the Spirit, and they had a song for everything. I love that. Have patience, have patience, don't be in such a hurry. When you get impatient, you only start to worry. Remember, remember that God is patient too, and think of all the times when others have to wait for you. <laughs> Y'all didn't know I'd break out in song, did I? Huh? I remember I was like, I'm like six or seven years old, and I still remember those songs. And sometimes sing them impatiently when I'm behind somebody. Have patience, have patience. <laughs> trying to remember, trying to remember. It is our role, and, and that was kind of the way that they worked. Mom, mom kind of found creative things because I was hard to teach. I was always just really, really excited all the time, and so she found things that get my attention. Dad was always the more, more serious person, and he'd come in when something was like, like especially when it was talking about biblical manhood and stuff, and dad would come in and say, hey, this isn't that. Guys, it is, he used the Bible to teach me what a work ethic looked like, but he also backed it up in his own life, okay? So there's, there's all these teaching tools that we work together as a common goal. I see parents working, and listen to me, parents, grandparents, everybody in this room, we deal with spiritual leadership and just the role of the family. We work together, don't we? Grandparents help, parents help, but the, the end goal is what we're getting to. Listen, the end goal is not for your grandkid or your kid to get a scholarship. Did you just hear what I said? It is not for your kid to get a scholarship. The end goal of every family is not, is not for that person to become successful and one day make money. I'm saying these things because these are the things that we spend so much of our time focusing on. It is not so that your kid will learn how to hunt, though I do think there's some important things they can learn in hunting, especially how to gut a deer. There are a lot of things that you can learn. There's, there's different ways about doing things. I mean, guys, there are a lot of teaching tools, but that's not our end goal, is it? That's the key about family. Christian family has an end goal. And what is that? For everyone in that family to fall deeply and madly in love with Jesus Christ. That's our goal. And that's the foundation that is being attacked. We are getting focused and so we're, we're not focused on the foundation of the Word of God being our teaching tool. We don't know it. We don't practice it. And because of that, we are beginning to diminish even more and more and more in the area of the family. You currently live in an area of the world that families still stay relatively close together. I did not experience that until I moved to Kentucky. I'm being honest. I didn't know anybody that had family members that grandparents didn't live off or that grandparents were just, you know, down the road and all this stuff. When I met Jill's granddad, he lived on the same property that his grandparents lived on. I'd never even seen that before growing up. We, we, we see experience and family in kind of a different way here. You guys, I, I know that we can kind of see that. Families help a lot. Grandparents help a lot. And all those things, they're close. But we're also losing what that's really all about. It is not to see that child succeed, though I know we want to do that. 
But the ultimate goal of a Christian family is to pass on the faith to the next generation and that they madly fall in love with Jesus. And you're like, man, we've got to stop believing that just sending them to church is enough. I say that as a youth pastor who, guys, every week spends time studying, trying to give them things. And I'll be honest with you, parents, if you don't reinforce the things that we teach, most of what I said is in vain. Did you hear what I said? Listen, if you don't reinforce it, then most of what we say is in vain. And it's reinforced not only by your words, but it's reinforced by our lives. If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? I was sitting in my study, and my study is a a really rough word for using the couch in my living room, because that's where I study. And God's, I was like, God, this, this seems hopeless because I see these foundations eroding. I see them going away. So what, what are we supposed to do? Are you saying that if these foundations are gone, there's no hope? He said, no, read it again. If the foundations are gone, which means if I see that those foundations are not in my life, okay? This is just you personally, individual level. Whether it's godly woman, godly man, young person in this room, senior adult, whatever. You look at yourself and say, if I see that these foundations are not in me. It's almost a rhetorical question. What am I to do? The answer is given. If you see they're not there, then get them there. If you see it's not there then get it there. Work at it. Change something you're doing. Build on that foundation. Because guys, we talk about focusing on changing the world and we say, man, we just need to change. And even this morning, I was like, I'm thinking like, how are we going to, and when Ronnie Ronnie Jr. said those words, when he said, do we make it illegal? You don't change the world by making something illegal. You change the world by changing one person at a time. And guys, this starts, the foundation starts with you and me. If I see it's not there, then I can do something to change that. And so can you. Let's pray. God, I thank you for today. Thank you for your word. God, I thank you for just this passage and where you let it. I know it's a little bit different than what's usual for me, but Lord, I'm thankful that, God, even just in my quiet time with you, that you kept revealing and revealing. Now, God, though we see these things present in our world, you don't want us to look at somebody else. You want us to simply examine ourselves. Is my life founded on God, on the Word of God, and on the family? of doing what it is that God has established for me to do and to be. And the only way I know that I can do that, and the only way I know what that really even looks like, is if I just know your word. God, it all comes back to that. It always has. We can read scripture from the beginning to the end. It always references that. That knowing your will is knowing your word. 
And God, walking with you is doing what you say. And the only way we can do what you say is if we actually know what you said. God, help us to be people that are built on a real foundation. The foundation of one God. The foundation of the word. The foundation of true biblical family. We love you and we praise you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. We just invite you to stand together. I know that there's a...